The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, November 26, 2023, on the basis of Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. So do you feel any different? I sometimes like asking my children that question, sort of half-jokingly, anytime they have a birthday. I mean, here we have this entire day that revolves around celebrating this apparently momentous occasion. There's cake, and there's candles, there's presents, and there's singing. And you would think, with all of that hoopla, surely they would be able to sense that something monumental has changed about them and their life. Certainly, you'd think they'd be able to feel it. So do you feel different? I don't know if anyone in the room is celebrating a birthday today, but I do know this, that today the Christian church on earth is turning the page from one year on our calendar to the next. Today is the last Sunday of the church year. In other words, for the past 52 weeks, Christians here in this place and all over the world have been gathering together in houses of worship. We spend the first half of the year reviewing the life of Christ, who he is, and what he has done for us. We spend the second half of the year focusing on the life of the Christian. We remember the teachings of Jesus and how they apply to our lives. In other words, for the past year, churches have been proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, and Christians have been gathering to hear the gospel of Jesus. So do you feel any different? As you think about your social circle, as you think about our community, as you think about our country, do you think that honor and respect for Jesus have been going up? Are there all kinds of people who a year ago had very little use for Jesus but now are flocking to churches each and every week? Are all of the roads and all of the stores and all of the athletic fields and all of the gymnasiums that would have been jam-packed a year ago now today suddenly empty because no one is there, everyone is in church. What about you? Are there a bunch of people in your life who a year ago maybe thought you were a little bit strange? Maybe even thought you were a complete and total jerk because of what you believe, but now they are full of nothing but admiration and respect for you. Are your neighbors pounding on your door, trying to find out what is your secret, what is the key to success that you are so obviously enjoying in life? Are there doors being opened? Are there accolades being thrown your way the second someone finds out that you are a Christian? Assuming the, the answer to those questions, at least at times, is no, it can be a little bit frustrating, can't it? It can be a little bit discouraging. We assume that things ought to be different. And when they aren't, maybe we think that something is wrong. Maybe we think that we need to change the way that we do things. It's easy to get frustrated when we don't see and we don't feel things getting any different. And yet, perhaps before we get too carried away, it is good for us to consider the words of Jesus that are in front of us this morning. Words that once again remind us that life with Jesus is lived at an intersection, at a crossroads between everything that we know to be true about Jesus and about his people and the fact that those very same things will not be obvious to the world around us. 
Yes, the day is coming when everything for Jesus and everything for his people is going to be very, very different. And yet we shouldn't expect it to seem so immediately today. So often that gospel that truly does change everything doesn't seem to be changing anything at all. And in fact, in fact today we're going to hear Jesus remind us as we take a look at these verses in front of us that if nothing seems different as another year ends, that's actually kind of the point. So in these verses, Jesus is talking about the last day, the day when he will return. And he starts out by letting us know what that day is going to be like for him. On that last day, Jesus is going to return in glory. And he is going to sit down as a king on a throne of glory. And he is going to be flanked on either side by an army of angels. Those angels are going to gather before him all nations, all people on earth, and then King Jesus from his throne is going to decide the everlasting fate of each and every one of them. In other words, on the last day, everyone is going to be subject to King Jesus. So if that's what it's going to be like then, what would we expect it to be like between now and then? Usually when an individual ascends to that level of prominence and glory, we sort of expect to see it coming. For example, for many years now, LeBron James has proven himself to be one of the greatest basketball players that the world has ever known. Maybe you even know that he goes by the nickname King James. Well, if you've been around long enough, you know that this didn't take anybody by surprise. LeBron James was perhaps the most hyped high school athlete in history. Already in high school, finding himself on the cover of Sports Illustrated and his games being broadcast on ESPN. So if that's how it works for LeBron James, for King James, maybe it should also work that way for King Jesus. That if on the last day he is going to occupy this position of prominence and glory, then maybe we'd expect that as year after year passes leading up to that, every year Jesus would get a little bit more glory. That his realm would continue to grow, that he'd get more and more citizens. And yet in these verses, Jesus doesn't just tell us what it's going to be like for him then. He also tells us what it's going to be like for him between now and then. Jesus borrows for himself a title that comes from those verses in Daniel chapter 7 that we heard this morning. Jesus doesn't just say that he is going to return in glory. He says, the Son of Man is going to come again in glory. And that title, borrowed from the book of Daniel, is intended to draw a very sharp contrast between the glorious and majestic throne of God and the very humble and ordinary appearance that Jesus had during his life on earth. A Son of Man is an average Joe. A son of man is just an ordinary guy. In fact, the timing of Jesus' words is also important. In less than 48 hours, the very subjects that Jesus came to save are going to have him arrested. They're going to have him convicted and sentenced, and they're going to have him crucified. The only crown in the immediate future for King Jesus when he spoke these words was a crown of thorns. And yes, shortly after that, his resurrection from the dead, of course, vindicated him. 
But even now today, there are so many who do not acknowledge the truth about Jesus. So another year has gone by with churches proclaiming the truth about Jesus. What feels different? Yes, it is true that in this place and in places all over the world, there are new citizens in Jesus' kingdom. There are new glad and willing subjects of his reign. But at the very same time, there are people in this place and people all over the world who have changed in just the opposite way. People who once were glad and willing subjects of Jesus who now really have no use for him, who have no time for him, who have stopped listening to his voice, who have stopped living by his good and wise commands. And that's kind of the point. That's exactly what Jesus told us to expect. Yes, a king of glory sitting on a throne of glory then, but a son of man, easily ignored, easily forgotten until then. Okay, fair enough. Probably good to know. Maybe it doesn't come as much of a surprise that Jesus would describe things that way. But Jesus doesn't just want to tell us what the last day is going to be like for him. In these verses, he, of course, also wants to tell us about what the last day is going to be like for us. In other words, in these verses, Jesus also gets very personal. And just like the last day is going to be full of all kinds of glory for Jesus, it will also be full of all kinds of glory for his people. Yes, all of the nations are going to be gathered together as one big giant group in front of King Jesus, but the very first thing he is going to do is he is going to separate them. He is going to separate those who are his people from those who are not his people. And those who are not his people are going to be banished from his presence. And they are going to be sent to an eternal fire that was never intended for any human being to occupy. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. In contrast, Jesus' people are going to receive their inheritance. In fact, the thing that they are going to inherit is a kingdom. They are going to be kings of King Jesus, and they are going to be lords of Lord Jesus. They are going to live, and they are going to reign with him in glory forever. And so if that's what it's going to be like on the last day for those who belong to King Jesus, what would you expect it to be like between now and then? Usually when there's a group of people that ascends to that level of prominence and glory. Again, we can sort of see it coming. So, for example, when the Packers win the Super Bowl in 2026, people will no doubt point to their decisive victory on Thanksgiving Day in 2023 over the Detroit Lions as the first glimpse that they were in store for greatness. We'll see, of course. But the point is, typically a team gets a little bit better from one year to the next, and then a little bit better, and then a little bit better, until finally they win it all. And so if that's how it works for things like football teams, maybe that's how it would work for the people who belong to Jesus as well. That with each and every passing year, Christians in our world would get more respect, more recognition, and have more influence. And yet Jesus doesn't just describe what it's going to be like at the end for his people. 
he also describes what it's going to be like between now and then. Jesus says that he is going to separate all nations as a shepherd separates his sheep from, well, from what? His sheep from the snakes? His sheep from the wolves? No, he will separate all people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And in a shepherd's flock, the sheep and the goats would graze in the pasture together throughout the day. In a shepherd's flock, the goats were just as valuable to the shepherd as the sheep. And in a shepherd's flock, very often, the goats were even difficult to distinguish from the sheep. And in fact, there's a reason why Jesus uses this picture in particular. As you heard, he goes on to highlight some of the sheepish sort of things that his people, his sheep, love to do, love to spend their lives doing. Things like feeding the hungry. Things like clothing the naked. Things like welcoming in strangers and tending the sick and visiting the imprisoned. And all of those various good things that a person might do for someone else have one common thread that ties them all together. All of those good things are incentive-less. For each and everything that a person might do for someone else, in these cases, that person who is on the receiving end of that good thing has no ability to pay the person back. In each and every case that Jesus mentions, these are not the types of things that would get someone recognition and credit and honor from the world around them. It might in our day. It wouldn't have in Jesus' day. In fact, these are the types of things that would have caused someone to look down on someone else in Jesus' day. You don't have to be one of Jesus' sheep to spend your life doing good for other people. But the specific types of things that Jesus' sheep love to do are the things that don't bring them any recognition, that don't cause them to stand out from the rest of humanity. So again, another year has passed of Jesus' sheep hearing the good news about Jesus. And hopefully over the course of that past year, the Holy Spirit has been busy at work in your heart, causing you to grow in your compassion, causing you to grow in your generosity, causing you to grow in your selflessness as you serve other people. And yet Jesus makes it very clear that these are the types of things that aren't going to make headlines. I'm guessing those things have not put any trophies on your shelf or put any money in your wallet. Yes, we are going to be heirs, and yes, we are going to be kings of King Jesus then. But until then, sheep, people who love to do the kinds of things that don't make anyone stand out from anyone else. And all of that would sound like really bad news. If being at the intersection, as we've been saying for the past several weeks, is a bad place to be. It's really easy for us to think that this current state of affairs, both for Jesus and for us, is the kind of thing that we just need to grin and bear. The kind of thing that we just need to sort of put up with until we don't have to put up with it anymore. 
In fact, maybe that's why so often we're not happy with it and we're not content with it. Why it's so easy for Christian churches like ours, in the name of trying to win more subjects for Jesus' kingdom, to employ tactics and to employ manners as we carry out that work that Jesus never asked us to make use of. Maybe it's why it's so easy for us to sort of act entitled as Christians, to think that we deserve a certain amount of recognition and credit in our world, and maybe even to get a little bit whiny when it doesn't come our way. Maybe it's why it's so easy for us, instead of spending our lives doing the kind of sheepish things that Jesus' sheep love to do, that we actually do pursue the things that are going to put trophies on our shelves and money in our pockets and get us recognition and credit from the world around us. And all of that would make perfect sense if being at the intersection were a bad place to be. But King Jesus has already proven that it isn't. You see, friends, it isn't just that Jesus came once as a lowly, humble son of man, and then later he's going to come as a glorious and majestic king. No, the whole reason Jesus is going to come as a glorious and majestic king is because he came first as a lowly and humble son of man. The very same dismissal and the very same rejection that put that crown of thorns on his head and landed him on a cross is what has won for us forgiveness and life and salvation. Jesus came as a son of man so that every son and every daughter of man could belong to him forever. The fact that he will come again in glory is a direct result of the fact that he first came in humility. And friends, the same exact thing will be true of our lives as well. There's a reason why Jesus loves to praise those good deeds for others that are incentiveless. When we do things for others that cannot possibly bring us any reward, it keeps our eyes fixed on the far greater reward that cannot be earned but that only Jesus can give us. Anytime we miss out on some sort of honor or recognition that we think we deserve, it only keeps us hungering and thirsting for the infinitely greater honor that will be ours, that we will receive from King Jesus. And so if another year has passed and it doesn't feel any different, it's not because we're stuck. It's not because no progress has been made. It's because life with Jesus is always lived at an intersection, at these crossroads where everything that is already fully ours and everything that is yet fully to be revealed meet. And so if another year has passed and it doesn't feel any different, that's the point. In fact, not only might it not feel any different, but King Jesus has already proven that you wouldn't even want it to. Amen. <laughs>